Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Today is Horticulture Day. I'm Charity Nebbe. When the temperatures drop in the fall, suddenly the outdoors becomes insect-free. As soon as it warms up in the spring, many species of insect reappear instantly. Today, entomologist Laurel's I- Laura Isles is here to demystify this phenomenon and to help us understand the strategies different insect species use to survive the winter months. Laura Isles is the director of the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. Hello, Laura. Good morning, Charity. Thank you so much for being here. And all right, so the temperature drops. That kills a lot of insects, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. So there's a lot of different strategies for insects. So some insects, um, especially adult insects, often just die. They They have probably already laid eggs that will be overwintering. And so the adult insect doesn't need to live any longer. A lot of our wasps just die because there's already mated queens that are overwintering. So yes, some just do just die. (laughs) All right. And that, of course, (laughs) is is part of that phenomenon that makes them all disappear. But different insects do use different strategies to get through the winter months because they have to reappear again in the spring. Um, Let's talk about the insects that leave. Right. So I call it, there's kind of the stay or the go strategy. And so the, the insects that go are the ones that migrate. And some of our very famous ones, of course, the monarch is one that migrates um, south. We have other, I would say, somewhat less famous. The, the entomologists certainly love the painted ladies that also migrate. Some of our dragonfly species migrate. A lot of our crop pests actually do as well. So it's not unusual to have um, insects with wings, it has to be the wings, so adult insects migrating to the south where they can continue to eat and reproduce or just sit quietly through the winter. And of course, we all love monarch butterflies, and some of us are lucky enough to get to see a flock of monarch butterflies migrating or preparing to migrate. I don't think I've seen other insects flock up, do they? (laughs) We don't usually notice it in the same way. Painted lady butterflies are ones where some years they it's very noticeable if you're in the right place. But yeah, I don't usually notice the other, you know, species. You know, things like potato leafhopper are really tiny, so we probably wouldn't notice. So there's not the this majestic kind of mass. potato leafhopper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and many of these other species are spreading all, you know, through wide areas of the the South and Mexico. And so we're not seeing them, you know, go to, you know, a very limited location like the monarch butterflies right. do. Right. The monarch butterfly migration is is pretty extraordinary, even in the animal kingdom. So, yeah. of course, other insects stay and they stay in a variety of ways. So give me some examples. Right. So the insects that stay and, you know, all insects, whether they they leave or stay, all these things like the the day length changing that, you know, we notice now getting dark so early, temperature, all these things tells the insect that a big change is happening and triggers them to go into this kind of overwintering mode. And so depending on the species, like, you know, bagworm, if you've ever had bagworm hanging on your conifer trees, there's eggs in a bunch of those bags because they just overwinter as the egg stage and they're adapted to, 
you know, handle pretty cool temperatures and do it that way. Uh, Japanese beetles, not everyone's favorite. Most of us, those overwinter underground, and they can actually move pretty deep down into the soil to prevent freezing. So every insect kind of has its own little niche that it's adapted to. Right. And of course, Japanese beetles, they disappear long before the freeze comes. They've already gone through their season. The adults have disappeared and the larvae is already down there (laughs) waiting, ready to Mm -hmm. reemerge next year when the time (laughs) is right. Um, What are some of the from your perspective, really unique egg-laying strategies that that help insects get those eggs through the winter? Because it it does seem amazing that they can survive those conditions. Yes, it's it's really amazing. Um, Any of the insects, like, and to me, even some overwinter is larvae, which is truly amazing because insects are kind of bags of water. And if they freeze... The, the ice crystals will just destroy the cells. And so they have lots of ways of removing water out of the cells of their body, of producing kind of like antifreeze, literally, you know, in their cells and things like that. So absolutely amazing ways. So they can they can physically try to get away from the cold, especially underground or in leaf litter. And then they can do things chemically in their own bodies to prevent that freeze damage, which is, to me, just fascinating. Well, I think about um, the woolly bear caterpillars, which, of course, we all see in the fall. And some of us like to pretend that we can predict the winter (laughs) season by looking at them. I'm not sure that there is much validity to that. But that's that's a creature that really amazes me because often I'll be out moving sticks or, you know, cleaning up the yard and I find them in leaf litter. And I wouldn't think that that would protect them very well. How how can they hide under a few (laughs) leaves in a little bit of dirt and survive the winter? Right. So, yeah, just getting under those leaves, you know, especially snow cover is so helpful to insects. Snow is, I mean, it seems really cold to us above the snow as humans, but below the snow, I mean, it's basically functioning as a blanket. I mean, the the soil will remain like right at kind of 32 degrees. So just right at that freeze thaw, just right under the snow. So the more they can get leaf litter on them, and then especially snow really helps prevent that deep freeze. So yeah, just just picture them under a blanket all winter. (laughs) What are some of the insects where there are adults that that do survive the winter? So we're not talking about larvae or eggs, but actually adult insects that somehow make it through. So probably the one that people would recognize the most are a lot of our wasps do that. Um, Right now, everyone's kind of finding those bald-faced hornet nests um, in the woods. If you're taking those fall walks out seeing the the fall leaves, seems like there was a lot of them this year. And there's those those kind of paper round um, balls um, that the wasps make. Well, all those wasps that are in it, almost all of them will just freeze to death or starve to death. But they produced queens towards the end of the seasons, queens queens and kings they mated and then the queens are overwintering sometimes they'll overwinter you know kind of in homes they'll try to get into kind of walls just leaf litter any little nook or cranny where they can spend the winter at so that's probably one of our most common ones overwinters as adults right and so most of the adults will die but there will be just these select adults that do survive and then they start over in the spring right Yep. Yeah. And these insects that are colonies, like honeybees and wasps, it's not about the individual. It's always about the, you think of the colony as more the individual. So the the individuals might not survive, but the colony is surviving and those queens. All right. So something else that happens this time of year is it starts to get cold 
And then if you have any cracks or you live in a 120-year-old house like I do, insects find their way into your home. Tell me why that's happening. <laughs> yes, they do. So our most common ones, box elder bug, multicolored Asian lady beetle. We've now added the brown marmorated stink bug to that list. And so these are insects that very often are Sometimes they will want to like overwinter at the base of cliffs and things like that. That's the multicolored Asian lady beetle. So they're really attracted um, to kind of vertical surfaces reflecting light. They're often really attracted if there's like contrasting colors, so drain pipes or, you know, something about the house that's kind of light colored. So they're not like, oh, that's a house. Their, their brain isn't working that way. They're just like, oh, that's a vertical surface reflecting light. I'll go land on it. And then they start to move around for that, that cracker thing where they can overwinter. And they really need to stay cool and moist. Insects are, are animals. As long as they're active, they're going to need water and food. So if they come indoors into your house, they're going to die pretty quickly. So do I have insects overwintering under my siding? Yes, you probably do. Okay. I'm cool with that. It's all right. I'm, that yes, yes, make me most of us do. Um, no, no, but <laughs> so for the ones that do come into your house, how do you deal with that? So I recommend just you know vacuuming them up. Um, I often end up with little clusters of lady beetles up high on the ceiling where I can't even reach. Eventually, they they die and fall down. So, I mean, they're not going to hurt anything in the house. They're not going to hurt you or infest anything. So you can just, you know, vacuum them up. You know, you can be kind and put them outside or something like that. But I don't recommend using any insecticides indoors. If the problem is extreme, and sometimes in some houses it really is extreme, you're going to want to use insecticide outdoors, maybe around the windows and things like that. But certainly sealing all those cracks and gaps, replacing screens, doing what you can um, before fall um, is also a big help. So we've been talking a lot about the the fall and winter part of this. But in the spring, the other amazing part is that you'll have a 50-degree day where it's sunny. And then all of a sudden, you can see insects flying around in the air, which I think is I, I, pretty close to miraculous, Laura. How, how does that happen? <laughs> well, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, insects and plants are so triggered on just temperatures and things like that. So, you, so they're, they're sensing those temperatures. They're becoming active if they can get something to eat, something to drink. That really benefits them. We don't like to see like wild fluctuations. And insects are a bit like plants that way. Crazy fluctuations in the spring or those late freezes can be pretty harmful to them. But it's one of the reasons, you know, we recommend you can leave that leaf litter um, in your garden and stuff until, you know, we're pretty regularly above 50 degrees, even at night. Um, so it always allows us to kind of procrastinate that garden cleaning until later later in yeah. May. Well, and of course, a lot of people want to support pollinators. People are, are caring much more about our native insects now. And so creating that habitat, allowing that habitat to stick around, that's part of the relationship, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And a lot of, you know, little tiny bees will even build nests, you know, in hollow plant stems and stuff. So, you know, when I 
now when I, you know, cut off my Siberian iris, I kind of leave those tall flower stalks because they're hollow. And, you know, that's enough for a small bee. I don't know if I've ever gotten any in there, but I, I like to think so. So just, you know, cut, you know, you can deadhead and stuff your flowers, but leaving those tall stems is really helpful. And so and just, you know, waiting and, you know, even if you do have to cut them down, you know, in the spring, you know, laying them out somewhere where the wasps could still emerge from them is also helpful rather than, you know, piling it all up into a big compost pile. I love this trend because now I don't have to rake because I know that it's better for my lawn (laughs) if I mulch up the leaves and I leave the leaves. And now I don't have to clean up the garden because I know it's better for insects and native pollinators if I leave it. This is all coming up charity here, I think, Laura. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. Laura Isles is the director of the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. Find out more at Iowa Public Radio. Garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at Des Moines Metro Opera.org. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Today is Horticulture Day, and with me, Laura Isles, entomologist and director of the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. And Cindy Haynes is also here, professor of horticulture at Iowa State University. Hello, Cindy. Good morning, Charity. Thank you both so much for being here. And of course, you can join our conversation at 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And Cindy, it is really starting to actually feel like the growing season is over. I I will admit to you that um, I still haven't planted my bulbs. So here I am once again in exactly the same situation (laughs) that I find myself in every fall. I have to plant my bulbs this weekend, I think. I I haven't planted all of my bulbs either. So (laughs) I am in the same situation. And I think as long as the ground isn't frozen, we still have some time. I know you've planted bulbs over Thanksgiving holiday. I have, yes. So yeah, I know you have so, too. <laughs> I have too. So, <laughs> so we've got plenty of time. Um, and it might be easier to plant after a nice rain. Right. So I was thinking about that. I was I was trying to mm-hmm. give myself credit for, oh, I'm just waiting right. until the ground is right. soft enough that it's actually not like digging into cement. So that that right. is on my That's, agenda for the plan. weekend. Right. All along. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. If you have questions, 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And we've got an insect question for you, Laura. Will treating my lawn for white grubs reduce the population of Japanese beetles on my plants next summer? 
That's a great question. I, I wish I could say yes, but the answer is a resounding no, it won't.、Um, the Japanese beetles are a white grub.、Um, the white grub treatments, like we would use for the mass chafer, June beetle, will control them in the lawn. So if you have turf damage,、um, you can treat. But unfortunately, the adults live a long time, they move around a lot. We see a lot of damage in golf courses on, above, on trees and things like that. So, yeah, unfortunately, treating the larvae does not prevent adult damage because there's plenty of other places where they're developing. All right, we just keep coming up with theories and hopes. <laughs> <laughs> and it keeps turning out that we can't do much. And then、uh, I dash those hopes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's the entomologist's job. <laughs> you guys must talk about that at conferences, don't you? Yes, yes, we do. I, I'm always apologizing for the insects. <laughs> 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Earl is on the line in West Des Moines. Hi, Earl. Hi. I was wondering is it safe to trim my swamp white oak? I would. I would still wait on doing any trimming on oaks. Generally, we want to start this maybe in December. We want it to be a little bit colder and we want it to be solid cold、uh, temperatures.、Um, maybe, I don't know if that insect is around and the potential is still for it to transmit the disease, Laura. So, the insect that transmits it is、uh, one of the picnic beetles. If you've ever had, you know, you're sitting outside, you know, eating watermelon or something. So, I think that the risk is that you, it's a really nice day, like we've kind of had in the past week, and like, oh, this would be a great time to do that trimming. So, there is some risk because the insects could be active then. It's much lower than early in the year, but I, I agree to, to wait a little bit is certainly to be safer. Yeah, I feel you though, Earl. I was just looking at my、mm -hmm. oak tree this morning and I'm thinking, okay, these branches need to go. But it's also, it was 63 degrees this morning. So the temperature is <laughs> dropping steadily. But I thought,、yeah. no, obviously it is time to wait a little while longer. 866 780 9100 is the number to call. Of course, I have bulbs to plant before I get to trimming my oak tree back. So I have other things on my to do list.、Uh, here's a question about pruning cherry trees.、We We have two trees. One is a Bing and the other a sour cherry tree purchased from a local garden center. They were planted at the end of May this year. The main leader is approximately seven foot tall and has about two to two and a half feet of growth since planting. What is the proper procedure to prune the trees this fall or winter? This is from Tom. Oh,、um, it does require a little bit of pruning. I think you don't have to, if, you don't have to prune it a lot、uh, the first couple of years. One of the things you want to kind of keep in mind with cherries is these grow a little bit more like shade trees. So we want to keep that nice, strong central leader. You want to make sure that there's branches on all sides, that there are no crossing or rubbing branches、uh, or dead branches. You want to kind of prune those off. So I think the first few years, that's what I would encourage、um, just lots of branches all the way around and a strong central leader. And just do some minimal pruning to maintain that, and you'll probably be just fine. All right. And time of year for that? Oh, time of year is always in the dormant season.、Um, so, this is something, once again, that you can start. I wouldn't do it now. I would wait until December, January, February, March. Those are usually the best times to do it. And I usually look for a decent day、uh, sometime in February or March. To do any kind of pruning. All right. And if, it feels like that's such a great activity to do that time of year when、mm -hmm. you really start to get itchy fingers and you really want to do、right. things that it is not time to do yet. If you save、right. that. 
<laughs> All right. Well, and, and that there's usually one or two days in February or March that you can get out there that's, you know, warm enough. And then, yeah, you've accomplished some gardening task in the middle of winter. Let's go back to the phone. Sue is on the line in Pleasant Hill. Hi, Sue. Hi. What's your question? Well, I have planted uh, some uh, heirloom peonies, and they grew about a foot. I know it's going to take a few years, but uh, uh, at midnight, coming home late from work, I saw there were rabbits enjoying the peonies, and Hmm. so the next day I, I grabbed what I thought was my liquid fence, deterrent and sprayed and I realized it was not it was weed killer oh and uh yes I have not even told my husband what I did (laughs) but the leaves started to curl and I thought well it's getting colder it's getting towards fall and I didn't realize uh until I was straightening up the garage that oh you grabbed I pre-mix it from concentrate I grabbed the wrong bottle Ouch. And mm-hmm. I've just, um, I put down like new topsoil to try and fertilize and, you know, just mm-hmm. do something. But I just wonder, is there any chance that possibly in the spring these will come back or are they done? Uh, yeah, you you probably did some damage. Um, whether they come back or not kind of depends on how much you sprayed and how much damage was done and how good of a root system that they've gotten established. Unfortunately, you're probably not going to know until spring, until they come back, right? Um, if they survive or not. So, um, yeah, yeah, this is this happens to to a lot of people, um, and uh, there's not a whole lot that you could do about it at the time because it's you know the damage is is pretty quickly done to the plant. But unfortunately, you're yeah, going to take that wait and see approach. Yeah, see what see what comes yeah, up just in the spring. Established, yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So they well, probably thank don't you. Have and the best root system. I'll, I'm sorry. I'll just plant some new, new already developed bushes. I think. Yeah, that's I, such I a think... bummer, Sue. But you should. I mean, people make mistakes. It's okay. Well, this is also well, an op- opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it's an opportunity to buy some new peony, uh, peonies too. So to shop for some new ones. Right. And and Sue, if you're hard to shop for, that gives that gives your husband who you haven't admitted to that you've done this, that gives him an option. No, he's of... just going to think, boy, did they ever flourish? <laughs> I'm buy oh, you're else. never going to tell him, huh? I'll say, wow, must be that miracle grow. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, good luck. All Thanks right. a lot for the call, Sue. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Susan is up next in Pleasantville. Hi, Susan. Good morning. Hi. I have a question about a shade tree uh, in our yard that we did not put wire around. We have deer here. And we do many of the trees, but we did not this one because it's, it's pretty good size. However, <laughs> it rubbed on it yesterday. I discovered that when we I was outside. Is there anything to be done? Because there's a pretty good, it, it didn't get clear around it, but a pretty good strip that he removed the clear down, you know, away the bark is gone. Uh, right. Is there right. anything to do? I see different things on no. the internet as what you should and mm-hmm. should or should not do. I think I think the best thing to do here is to do nothing. Um, you're going to let the tree kind of decide how to seal this off, um, and it'll do a pretty good job of actually sealing this off. And then you can see over time 
um, if this was really damaging to the tree, and then you have to make that analysis if, if it becomes a hazard tree or not. If it's a big tree, a little bit of rubbing will cause some injury, but it may not kill the tree. Um, so, so it could still become a, you know, a fairly nice established tree in your landscape. Um, but the tree right now is, is going through its processes of sealing off that area. And anything that you paint or apply generally um, only hinders that tree from doing what it needs to do. So be patient and wait and see how it performs next spring. Thank you. I do have one quick question. Mm -hmm. I read on a website that because there's some bark that's still kind of hanging, you know, it didn't come clear off, said to trim that mm -hmm. or just leave it all alone. Is that what you said? Yeah, you can, if there's any kind of bark kind of hanging that's not attached, you can just remove that. Uh, trim it uh, carefully and, and close to the tree without doing any more damage to the bark or the trunk. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's, uh -huh. that's fine to remove that. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Mm -hmm. Susan, thanks a lot for your call. And it's also a good reminder that if we haven't protected our trees, yes. it's a good time to do that, right, Cindy? It it is so it and it's and it's nice because the ground hasn't frozen yet so it's a good time to get out to put those wire cages around things those trunk protectors around new trees it's also a good reminder to water trees in what the rain is doing so you're caring for your trees right now so that you don't have any damage from um, yeah those deer that like to rub and the rabbits that like to eat on bark uh, in the winter. And you mentioned watering. That's also a great reminder mm -hmm. because if we have something that is relatively young, a tree or a shrub, we want to keep watering that until the ground freezes, right? Correct. So this rain is going to really help us, um, but that doesn't mean this is the last rain that some of our trees will get. Um, if we have a newly planted tree or shrub, um, think about continuing to water until the ground freezes and it might just be once a month or once every couple of weeks, but it's been so dry in parts of the state that the root system really needs it. And it helps them over winter better and they perform better next spring. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, here's a listener who wants to know how to keep scale insects away from houseplants. Any advice? <laughs> I want to know this one. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's a bad sign, Cindy. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> so we just, ha I mean, there's a handful of houseplant pests, scales, mealybugs. Some of those are probably our worst. And I always try to remind people if it was easy, it wouldn't be a pest. These insects are pests because... There's just a challenge. There's no quick fix. Um, scale insects, once they're an adult and you can see that scale, the insecticides don't work against them. And, you know, indoors, I, I like the soap-based insecticides, some of the, the oils, but anything labeled for indoors, houseplant insect scale control um, will work. It just has to be done repeatedly because you're trying to get those young scales. So the we call them crawlers. So the, the usually the eggs are usually held under the female's body, and then the crawlers crawl out and settle down. But I do a lot of hand removal, just, you know, flicking them off 
you know, I, I put on a good movie that I don't need to pay too much attention to and get a good light and then just start picking the insects off my plant, you know. So there, there is that too. Even if you are going to treat, I would say do kind of that hand removal of what you can see first and then apply a treatment. It's also a perfect podcast activity. I'll just put in a plug Exactly. is the number to call. We've got room for a couple of callers right now. Lines open. And Laura, I want to ask you about, I think it's an insect. Maybe it's not actually categorized as an insect, but this is one of the, the most bizarre things that I see every winter. And that's when after the the ground has frozen, after there's snow on the ground, there'll be, you know, a beautiful day in January and I'm out for a hike and I see those tiny little snow fleas at the base of trees hopping around. Mm-hmm. What are they and what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, snow fleas. And these are actually a group of insects. Columbula is a scientific name, but springtails is the common name. Um, and they're named springtail because they have a little tail that some of the species can kind of curl under their body and then release that tail quickly and jump. And that's how they get their name, the fleas, because they jump like fleas. But these guys feed on just kind of, you know, bits of organic matter. And, and the, I mean, man, they can be right on top of the snow and they're feeding on bits of dust and lichens and things like even algae and stuff that's on the snow. And so they become active when it's warmer and, and get get that food from there. So it's really cool to get to see them. It is. And it just blows my mind every time because I think, how on earth are you still alive? And then where did they go after they hop around and eat those tiny <laughs> invisible bits of food? So then they're, you know, they're going to be back down, you know, and very often you see them kind of at the edge where snow and soil kind of meet. And so they're going to go back down into the soil um, and and live there. Um, anytime you dig up a cup of soil, you're definitely bring, digging up springtails. They are just everywhere and one of our really common um, insects that help, you know, break down organic matter and really important to soil health. All right. Let's get back to the phones. Mitch is on the line in Grundy Center. Hi, Mitch. Hi. What's your question? I love your show. I don't get I don't get to hear it much, but I love it. Uh, okay, I uh, uh, wife and I have a, a, a pretty large Norfolk pine. I bet it's five feet tall, and um, we bring it outside every summer and let it get good light and keep it watered well, and it just flourishes out there. Well, this last time, uh, cold weather snuck up on us, and, and it's very hard mm-hmm. to move. So we just went outside mm-hmm. and covered it up with uh, with some uh, sheets. And I, I, I think that wasn't enough because it, it mm-hmm. seems it, it's wilted um, mm-hmm. and it's still alive, I believe. It's not turning all brown. But I'm wondering if proper watering and spraying or something will, will, will bring it back uh, to what it used mm-hmm. to look like. What do you think? Right. Did you, did you, yeah, did you bring it in, Mitch? Is it inside now? Oh yes, yes. It's it's been inside oh, okay. for several weeks now. It's, okay. when we, it's when we had that really cold run down right. to twenty nine degrees, and that, right, that, right, that, that made it mad. Yeah, right, right. So that that probably did some damage, um, a little bit of damage. Norfolk um, pines are not always very forgiving, um, so you might lose a few lower limbs from this, or there might be some tip damage to some of the the um, needles as well. You're just going to have to watch it. Uh, Bring it inside 
water when it needs water because it doesn't like too much water either and keep an eye on it. I wouldn't fertilize, I wouldn't spray, I just kind of keep an eye on it and see if it decides that it wants to recover. All right, it might work. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. I'm with Cindy Haynes and Laura Isles. This is Talk of Iowa. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. It's Horticulture Day. I am Charity Nebbe, and you are welcome to join the conversation. 866-780-9100. You can send us email at talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me, Cindy Haynes, professor of horticulture at Iowa State University, and Laura Isles, director of the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. And we were kind of in a hurry there when you were answering Mitch's question. Norfolk pine can be kind of tricky, at least that's in my personal experience. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Yeah, Norfolk, it, it's really sad because Norfolk Island pine is very tricky and requires some consistency to grow well. And it sounds like Mitch and his wife had done a really good job of that. And then this kind of freeze, and it definitely got below freezing, which it does not like, is going to do some sort of damage. And, it, and the, the tree's kind of deciding what's going to happen next. Um, and there's not a whole lot you can do uh, besides just keeping it warm, watering it when it needs it, giving it as much light as you possibly can so that it can recover and recover quickly throughout the winter. Um, and keep your fingers crossed that it doesn't do um, total damage, which it could have. It could could be the end and time to be shopping for another Norfolk pine. Well, fortunately, the stores are full of them this time yeah. of year. So. No, this is true. This is true. I like it that you find the positive in this because I feel like it's a lot of doom and gloom today, Charity. <laughs> but um, yes, this is good. They're always around for uh, Christmas. That's right. It is the perfect season. time of year to buy a new one. I have failed a number of <laughs> Norfolk Island pines in my day. I like to blame the cats, but I really know that mm-hmm. it's not just the cats. That's not the only problem. <laughs> is the number to call. You can email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Lenny is on the line in Cedar Rapids. Hi, Lenny. Hi. Uh, Question is, we've had, for the first time ever, we've had a lot of these little, small little flies in our house. And um, they've been everywhere. And we just don't know what to do about them. We don't want to kill them. But uh, are they going to just, die off or what can we do about these very small flies that have just been everywhere in our house? So small flies are, there's a few species that will kind of overwinter in homes, but they're large. So from your description of small flies, you know, there's several different species and you might consider getting in touch with the plant and insect diagnostic clinic for a diagnosis. So the, the key is, is that the larva are always, of all flies, are going to be needing wet, decaying organic matter. So things like fungus gnats will be very often house plants and overwatered plants. Some of the fruit flies or others can come from slow-moving floor drains. And so one of the kind of the first things to do is to take 
um, you know, clear kind of saran wrap, I guess, and put it over, you know, floor drains in the basement or showers that don't get used very often and see if flies collect underneath. So once you find that source, then you can go ahead and, you know, clean it out. There's some kind of enzymatic cleaners and stuff that you can use in drains to clean out organic matter. But yeah, the the, the adult flies will fly all around to lights and windows and things like that. But you need to find that kind of wet decaying organic matter area where the larvae are. And that's the key to, to control and stopping the problem is finding that. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Lenny, can I ask you a question? So you said you don't want sure. to kill them. Is that because you don't want to hurt the flies or because you don't want to use chemicals in your home? Well, I, I have a thing about not killing. Uh, uh, you know, when you take a life, uh, you take everything that life that might the fly, everything it has or everything it will ever have is gone. Yeah. And I'm reluctant to do that to any living creature because uh, I don't know, it just, it just bothers me. But, yeah. Well, I... I I sympathize with that, and I, um, my husband calls it in- insect amnesty. That's what we practice in my home, where yeah, a lot of insects are kind of allowed to to live <laughs> undisturbed. So I, I definitely appreciate um, that. So yeah, everyone's a little different on how many insects they're willing to put up with in their home. Yeah, Lenny, thank you so much for your call. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can also send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Jim is on the line next in Marion County. Hi, Jim. Yes, hi. Thanks for your program. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, Just a question on what do you recommend for putting bearded irises to bed for the winter? I trimmed some of them back after they bloomed and they they mm-hmm. kind of grew foliage again. Uh, do you mm-hmm. recommend cutting them back, cleaning them up, fertilizing, or just leaving, letting them go? Yeah, on, on a lot of irises, I'll just let them go. If I see any kind of disease issues um, or if they're, you know, too floppy and in the way of like uh, flopping into the lawn, I might kind of clean those up in the fall. Um, but most of, of the perennials, even the spring-blooming perennials, I'll wait to clean up until sometime in March when I'm really dying to get out there. Um, and the, and it's easy to sure. kind of pull that away. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll just wait until then. Unless it's diseased um, or I notice that it's had a problem this year, then I'm going to clean it up and kind of sanitize that area uh, so that maybe some of those fungal pathogens won't overwinter. But otherwise, be lazy and just wait until March. And you're what providing you you're providing pro- habitat for insects, Jim, when you're That's being right. lazy. Okay. Fertilize <laughs> in the spring. Oh yeah, fertilize. If you're going to do any fertilizer for like uh, perennials, spring's a really good time to do it, um, just to kind of scatter it. Usually, I like a slow release fertilizer because once again, I'm lazy and I don't want to fertilize frequently. Um, and most sure. of Iowa, we have pretty good soil, so. Uh, waiting until fertilizing in the spring would be a good idea. Um, and most of those iris have already formed their flowers, so you're not going to impact its uh, blooming uh, that much in the spring either. So avoid a lot of high nitrogen fertilizers on perennials, including iris. Um, but otherwise, yeah, wait until spring again. And you can do that in sometime in March, April, or even into May. 
Thank you much. Yeah, thanks a lot for the call, Jim. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Um, Here's an email question. Do I have to treat or chip the wood when I cut down an emerald ash borer infected tree? So emerald ash borer, um, if you're keeping the wood um, and you're using it, you know, on your property or something for firewood, there's no treatment requirements. There's only a treatment like requirement if you're moving it across state lines. And all that is covered. The Iowa Department of Ag and Land Stewardship handles all that, you know, permitting to make sure not just emerald ash borer, but any pests that we're not moving pests around in wood. So but if Within Iowa, it's just like any other shade tree removal. There doesn't need to be any special, anything special done to it. Um, And, you know, if you're having it removed by an arborist, they they handle it like they would handle the removal of other shade trees. And they ask about chipping, though. And I do remember I I lived through the emerald ash borer invasion in Michigan, which happened before Mm -hmm. the one here Mm -hmm. in Iowa. And I do remember um, there being talk about if the if the chipping was small enough that you wouldn't Mm -hmm. be spreading emerald ash borer around. So while that's not required, especially if you're keeping it on your property, is that a good practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and certainly the chipping does make small enough pieces that actually the wood dries out and kills any larvae in it. And, you know, with invasive species, you know, very often initially we're working and spending a lot of time trying to prevent the spread. And so a lot of that was done early on. Unfortunately, emerald ash borer is one that that continued to spread despite, you know, these best efforts. And now we're turning more to biological controls and things like that. And you know, it's just, it's kind of unfortunate. So yes, there was a lot of chipping at first, but the, the, the not cost so much and the anymore. Like that. Okay. <laughs> not so much anymore. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to the phones. 866-780-9100. Jean is on the line in Des Moines. Hi, Jean. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for um, the uh, Horticultural Fridays and, and Talk of Iowa. Um, early on in this show, I was thinking uh, of a song um, that it was playing in my mind. It was, should I come or should I go? It was when you were talking about my <laughs> Should I stay or uh, should I go, sure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had to look it up to see if my, it was my uh, imagination. And it was a clash, and I'm way too old to be a clash. But that sounds like the, a, a decision that the uh, insects have. Um, my question or kind of comment is I've always just, thoroughly enjoyed the, the, the magical nature and this magical story of monarchs. Uh, a few years ago, my granddaughter and I found a, I think it's a black swallowtail tail, or maybe it's a yellow swallowtail on parsley, uh, a, a worm. And I read about uh, the, the swallowtail, and it sounds like the swallowtail lives within 100 feet of where it was born. And, and I, I found uh, it just amazing. Do butterflies have this just um, crazy uh, life cycle uh, that that ranges from uh, being very local to uh, almost intercontinental, intercountry travel? Yeah, and I think that, I mean, and it's very specific to the species and Sometimes even the same species in different areas can have different behaviors. But, you know, black swallowtail are such a neat one. They overwinter as, you know, the chrysalis stage, kind of out there exposed even, and survives the winter. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think it's just amazing, like what you say. 
I've always found human beings to be interesting, but I thought to myself, gosh, maybe butterflies are even more interesting. I think Laura would agree with you there. <laughs> uh, it'd be kind of fun if we all decided to migrate. No, that would be really disruptive. <laughs> oh, Jean, thanks so much for the call. 866-780-9100. Gary's up next in Des Moines. Hi, Gary. Hi, Hi how are you? Good. What's your question? Uh, my question is, I've heard people call in uh, about this growth on their leaves, which we have a couple three oak trees that have that problem. I'm concerned if those in, get into the uh, flower beds or into the garden, will that growth do any damage to the flowers or would have some kind of an issue with uh, our uh, you know, vegetable garden? So we think you're probably referring to galls. So there's a lot of insects, yes. wasps, some flies that will lay their eggs on the tree. The tree will produce that kind of weird shape, and we call that the gall. No harm at all. That is actually plant tissue. So the, the insect did kind of control the hormones of the tree and caused it to grow that weird, cool shape, weird colors. But um, Functionally, it's no different than the regular leaf tissue, so so no harm, no need to be concerned about it. When when the leaves drop that have galls on them, are they going to, I mean, there's the insect's usually not in there anymore, is it? Yeah, often the gall is emerged, or if they're overwintering in the gall, they'll emerge sometime in the spring. But yeah, those insects aren't going to harm the garden plants or anything like that. So there's an insect inside each one of those lumps on the leaf? Yes. So I think galls are amazing. They're one of my favorite subjects. So yes, inside is like, and sometimes the galls are huge and it will look kind of just like a little maggot inside. You can cut them open and see that. So yes, a little insect inside each one. They've, they've actually made the tree build the house for the insect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty manipulative, but um, pretty cool. Very cool. Well, especially <laughs> since they're not damaging it. That's a, that's just right. lovely. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, go next to Luann in Northwest Iowa. Hi, Luann. Hi. What's your question? How are you? Great. I live in Northwest Iowa, and I have an evergreen tree that um, had a bunch of undergrowth. Um, some of the trees or undergrowth that I took out were probably close to 12 feet tall. And I'm wondering, I understood that maybe some of the plants and trees, if you were very dry, needed extra watering to winter over. Is there anything else I should do? And can you overwater the tree? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and you can. You can overwater evergreens especially because they don't like to be wet. Many of them don't like to be wet. Um, but, but watering a little bit in the fall uh, for those newly planted trees and shrubs, so those that are under five years old, um, might be the okay. best uh, to kind of keep them. If it's over that and you, you know, um, if they're, you know, 20, 30-year-old evergreens, they're probably going to be okay. They have an established root system. Uh, this rain might help okay. them uh, go into winter. Um, so I wouldn't worry as much about those as the younger uh, trees and and you can overwater an evergreen. Um, th I think this is how we kill most newly planted evergreens, sometimes by watering them too much. Okay. And can you tell, um, like on the branches, uh, if if 
there's been too much watering, if it has a sort of a green, um, almost mossy-like scale on it, or is that just the natural state of the evergreen at this stage? I, I'm not sure. Some some older evergreens okay. will get lichens and other things on them, so the, the color will change. Oh. Some older evergreens, too, will um, get some fungal diseases that kind of cause the the lower needles to drop or to change color a little bit. So there's a, you know, so there's some, maybe some good things that are happening or maybe not so good things that are happening. Uh, The best way to tell if you're overwatering is just to kind of check the soil. Um, If it's, if it's a heavier clay soil, it has a tendency to be wet and stay wet a little bit longer. Um, And if it's a, you know, dry sandy soil, it's, it's going to dry out fairly quickly. So mm-hmm. I might just, you know, okay. check check in yeah, in between waterings or check uh dig up just a little section of soil and just feel it and see if it's if it's staying too wet. Okay. Okay, and last question. It doesn't look like it was ever trimmed on the bottom. Isn't mm-hmm. that a good way to prevent any maybe disease from starting is to get it up to about two feet maybe? With many evergreens, you, you, the lower limbs, if you just let it kind of, you know, kind of self-mulch itself and you have those lower limbs throughout the drip line, um, and if they're fully uh, leafed out and they're still kind of green, that's their natural habit. Um, and they usually perform really well there. I think a lot of people who are limbing up um, evergreens uh, feel the need to kind of mow underneath it or you're, okay. or they have some disease issues. So once again, I'm always going to go with a lazy technique and just say, let the tree do what it needs to do so that you don't have to mow or, you know, mulch underneath it um, until or if it has some issues where you need to remove some dead limbs. So, um, yeah, let the if it's looking good and it's got plenty of leaves underneath it, I'd say leave it alone. It, it seems like it's doing pretty, pretty well and pretty happy. Love that. Thanks a lot for the call, Luann. Cindy Haynes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Laura Isles, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll be back with Horticulture Day next Friday. This is Talk of Iowa.